together. I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of man. Even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul wants to make sure we understand God keeps his promises. He wants us to remember that no matter how bleak you might think it looks, God's people are always going to be alive and well. Amen. I will preach to you another time today about lies that we believe. Don't believe a lie. Believe the truth today. Let the truth set you free. Would you lift up your hands and your voices and worship God for me? Oh, Lord, we love you. We worship and praise you. For you are the only God. You're the God of the heavens and the earth. The Lord of creation. Lord, you will never leave your people. You will never forsake us. But you will be with us to the end according to your word. That is for ourselves Lord, we give you thanks for it today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks or so, we've, we've covered some, some lies that, that, that we believe at times. And in case you really haven't picked up on this, it's just a different way of preaching truth. But sometimes we just need to be told that the things that we're hearing and the things that we've chosen to believe are not what the Word of God says. And if it's not what the Word of God says, if it's not what comes from the lips of our Creator, then it's simply not true. And so there's times that we get caught into the trap of believing that tomorrow belongs to us. When God has not promised us tomorrow, there's going to be a tomorrow, but you and I might not be in it. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the remainder of this day holds. And so we don't need to believe that lie that we're always going to have another chance. We're always going to have another opportunity to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. And if you're lost, God wants you to be saved today. You don't have tomorrow. you got to be right with God today. Then secondly, we also at times can fall into the trap of believing that we don't need the Holy Ghost. We're living in a world where countless numbers of people have been led astray and missed out on a right relationship with God. Not because they didn't repent and some that happened, not because they weren't baptized in Jesus' name, but because somebody told them, you don't have to have the Holy Ghost. It's just a, an extra blessing. It's just something that, that you're glad to get, but it's all right if you don't have it. I've come to tell you that flesh and blood can enter heaven. The only thing that's going to go to that place are those things that are filled with the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, don't go home without it. It's for you. God has called us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you don't get it tomorrow if you get it, so you better get it today. Be filled with the Holy Ghost today. Amen. There's another lie in Scripture. Not that the scripture lies, but the scripture reveals to us what lies our enemy tells us. There's another lie that, that I want to draw your attention to because of foolishly putting things off to tomorrow can 
tenured saint. You can take out the, the prayer walkers or the prayer warriors and those that, that live by faith, those that have committed their lives to God and committed their ways to God. Even they can fall victim to such a falsehood. And it is simply the lie that says this, that I am the only one. I am the only one. Now I want to take you back to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to take you right back to where Paul took us in the book of Romans. And I want to give you all the, the, the surrounding context of, of what he was getting at because, of, you know, we, we need to understand what's really trying to, to be put into our hearts. 1 Kings chapter 19, this is the, the story, this is the place in Scripture the Apostle Paul was referencing. And he says in verse 1, the, the, the Bible says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said, I'm going to kill you. And when he saw that, he arose, went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. So from this point forward, he's walking by himself. Verse 4 says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And obviously, the Lord ignored what he said. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Ain't nobody eating at the dying. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake beaten on the coals and a cruise of water in his head, and he did eat and drink and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. So the, the first time he got an answer, well, you're not dying today. Now he's given an answer saying, you ain't dying here either. And he arose, did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. He came thither into a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, just me, God, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, I think most of you know at least a little bit about the person we're talking about here. It is the prophet Elijah. It is the man of God of the, that day and that hour in Scripture. This is not some, some new convert that's only been to church maybe a half hour or so and absolutely has no roots and has no idea what he's doing. This is not some man that has just met God and is hardly acquainted with his voice and, and really doesn't know anything about God's ways. And he's also not a man that doesn't have experience with what he knows God can do 
This is the mighty prophet Elijah. And this, this prophet is coming off a, a series of power-packed events in his life. In the preceding few chapters, we read that Elijah prays and prophesies that there will be no rain. And from the moment he says it ain't going to rain, it stops raining. And the months and the months roll on and not one drop. And the crops fail and everybody's starving to death and it still ain't raining. Because Elijah said it ain't raining until I say so. God sends that same prophet in the midst of that drought to a widow's house. She don't have anything to eat, or she's got one meal left. She's going to make it for her and her son, and they're going to eat it and starve to death and die. Yeah. But because she obeys the prophet, God feeds both the prophet and her and her son, and her and her son eat until the drought stops. Miracle after miracle. And then if that weren't good enough, it finally comes a time for it to start raining again. But before all that's going to happen, God, Elijah challenges the false prophets to a God showdown. He calls them all up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he says, all right, we're going to make sacrifices to our God, and we're going to see which one answers. And they dance, and they shout, and they cut themselves, and they do everything they know to do, making fools out of themselves. Elijah's over the side, standing and mocking and laughing at them, and their God will answer. And then Elijah just walks up, takes a dry sacrifice, soaks it through and through with water, and stands up and says, God, so that they'll know that I'm your prophet and that you're the God in the heavens. I want you to answer. And in a flash, fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And in that, that miraculous moment, Elijah then turns and has all the false prophets of Baal slain. And that's what gets us up to this chapter. That's what gets us to the place where Elijah now is. I mean, it, it was right on the heels of chapter 18, verse 39, after all that this big, this fire consuming the sacrifice thing happened. It said when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. They've been trying to serve both. And now the whole country, everybody gathered there that day, says there's just one God and it's Jehovah. So all of that has happened. And on top of that, rain is coming. And yet the mighty man of God has left the altar and has strolled into his own called pity party. And he's trying to talk God into putting him out of his misery. Doesn't he know what God can do? Doesn't he know that the same God that's able to, to consume the sacrifice of the altar and slay all the false prophets in one day, that that God is able to protect him? Doesn't he know that the God that hit him by the brook Cherith and, and made the water run when it wasn't raining anywhere, the same God that took him to the widow's house and put food back in that pot every single day, that that God could protect him? So why is Elijah here? And God asked the question, right? What are you doing? 
can't tell you every thought that he had, every feeling that was going on to him, but I can tell you what the Word of God says. And it says that Elijah's response is, I am the only one left. Just be God. They're all gone. They've all turned yellow. They've all given up. They've all quit. And I am the only one left. Now I know there's some of you out there that maybe you fancy yourself a loner from time to time. Maybe you're perfectly content most of the time not having lots and lots of company around you. I understand everybody's got different socialization needs. I understand that some folks would rather spend their spare time reading a book and some folks are always hunting for somebody to talk to. I understand that. But no matter what you think and no matter how tough you think you are, if you become convinced that the situation that nobody is in the situation that you're in, it will change your perspective. If you become convinced that there's nobody else that's where you're at, and that you are all by yourself, it will change your perspective. Genesis 2 and 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. It is not the will of God for man to be alone. If it was, he wouldn't have fixed the problem. If it was, he would have never said it. But God himself in the very beginning of Scripture said, It is not my will that man should be by himself. And yet that's exactly what Elijah thinks is going on. Psalm 38, the great psalmist David, the one who's whose poems and psalms we love to read about his great faith. Psalms 38 and 9 says, Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sword, and my kinsmen stand afar off. There were times David felt alone. David had the king against him. David had the country against him. David slept some nights in dark caves, not the king's house. And it got to him at times. You don't believe me? Read the rest of the book of Psalms and everything don't sound like a praise unto the Lord. Now, it comes around to it, but in the midst of some of those scriptures, you get things like, Lord, how long are you going to let them oppress me before you take them out? Being alone or thinking you're alone will change how you see things. The thought of being alone, and, and not just physically either, because you can be in a room full of people and feel completely alone. The idea that nobody is where you are. That nobody is going through what you're going through. And that thought and that feeling, that, that believing that lie will lead you to have the wrong mind and the wrong heart and will lead you to the wrong place in your walk with God. It's a lie. Who was Elijah? 
He was the prophet of God. He was the man whose job it was, whose calling it was, to speak God's word to the nation. He was there to anoint kings. He was there to direct the armies of God when they needed to fight and when they needed to stay home. He was the one that was to be the voice of God to the people at all times. And yet that man is here on top of the mountain all by himself asking God to end his life simply because he feels alone. And that he's the only one living it. He's the only one doing it. You don't believe me? Maybe you think, oh, that's not what it's all about. He was just scared of Jezebel. First Kings chapter 18, preceding chapter. Poor Jezebel never put a death warrant on his shoulders. Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then look at the next verse. Then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 years. It's like Elijah been thinking about this before Jezebel ever said, I'm going to take your head off. Looks to me like Elijah's been brooding on this for a little while before his circumstances ever really seemed to change. Keep on thinking about it. What does this kind of thinking do to you? When you begin to feel, nobody ever did here. Don't nobody know about that. Don't nobody care what I'm going through. Nobody else has ever seen this before. Nobody ever else has ever walked this road before. I am the only one going through what I'm going through. What kind, what does that kind of thinking do? It pushes you away from God's people. It pushes you away from those that you love and from those that love you. Because they're not like you. They don't know where you're at. They don't know what you're going through. They're not like you. They're not dealing with what you're dealing with. So certainly they don't understand. They're not asking about it. They're not talking to me about it. So that must also mean that obviously they don't care So I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Anybody ever been here before? Anybody ever listened to such a lie before? Anybody ever called your own pity party? And by the way, nobody ever goes to it but you. Anybody ever got to the place where they made up in their mind, there ain't nobody else going through what I'm going through and dealing with what I'm dealing with? Oh, let me get the flip side of it. Let me get the sanctified folks that are here today. 
Anybody ever got to the place just like Elijah did? That want to get on their self-righteous couch and say, don't nobody live it right anymore? Don't nobody walk the way I walk? Ain't nobody else's dress as long as mine? Ain't nobody else's hair as long as mine? Ain't nobody living as clean as me? Nobody wants God anymore? Nobody wants to serve God anymore? I know we live in a wicked world. I know we live in a place where men wax worse and worse and worse. That I'm not fed up with listening to all those opinions in this world that act like God's not got anybody left. Because the last time I checked, with a little over 6,000 years of human history, and every weapon the enemy of our soul can possibly form, God still has a people. Amen. You see, self-righteousness will get you here too. You'll get to the place that you think there is no other church that's right anymore. There is no other preacher that's right anymore. There is no other saint of God that is right anymore. And you know what that'll do to you? It'll do the very same thing. It'll push you away. God's people. Well, I can't fellowship with them anymore because they don't live right. I can't go visit that church. I can't go to that conference. I can't go to that camp because, you know, there's some ungodliness going on there. I'm not telling you to go to foolish and ungodly places. But what I am telling you is that God was not pleased with Elijah when he sat up on top of that mountain and said, I'm the only one. That's exactly what he thought. The only one. So since I'm the only one, I'm going to pack up my things and I'm going to head off into the sunset. How many people have walked out of the house of God never to come back because the devil began to whisper in their ear, they don't care. It don't matter. Nobody knows where you're at. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody knows how bad it hurts. They can't help you. They don't know anything about your situation. I've come to tell you the Bible's true when it says there is no new thing under the sun. There ain't no trial man's going through today that some man hadn't already been through. There's no valley you're walking through today that some other child of God hadn't walked through. Your answer is not heading off into the sunset and climbing up the mountain of loneliness and sitting on a self-righteous perch. I've come to tell you your answer is to stay in the church. Your answer is to draw closer to God's people. Your answer is to hear God's voice where He's talking. Why was this whole situation so bad? God says, 1 Kings 19 and 15, this is when God answered him. The Lord said unto him, Go, get off my mountain. Return on the way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shout thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Moholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escaped with the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. This was bad because Elijah had a job to do. The day would come when he'd draw his last breath. The day would come when he'd come to the 
end of his road, and God would take him on to his eternal reward. But that day wasn't today. He still had a work to do. He still had lives to change. He still had nations to influence. He still had street corners to stand up on and say, Thus saith the word of the Lord. But then God has one more thing to say. He could have just told him, here, go back and do what I'm telling you to do. But that wouldn't have fixed all of Elijah's problems. That had just given him something else to do. And after he got done annoying these three guys, I'm kind of foreseeing Elijah strolling back up to the mountain. All right, I'm done. Can I go now? But God says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I want to ask you a question. Uh, and I know there are different cities, I know there are different parts of this country, and, and you can't know everybody in every place. But the modern state of Israel, which is not completely, but kind of roughly to the size of what it was back in that day, is slightly larger than the state of New Jersey. It ain't that big. It ain't that far from town to town. And yet there were 7,000 other believers. 7,000 other faithful. 7,000 other people with the same afflictions and the same persecutions and the same fears, believing and hoping and trusting in the same God. Yet Elijah didn't know a single one. This happened. Now maybe it was because, you know, he spent all that time by the group chair and he wasn't talking to anybody. Maybe it was because he had to hide out in enemy territory and that's not where all the, the believers were. Maybe it was because he had to hang out on the mountain for so long to pray for God to send the rain. Or maybe it was because he believed a lie. He believed a lie that he told himself. The prophet of God was trading his responsibilities and his calling and his future for a lie that nobody was what he was. That nobody was going through what he was going through. That nobody else was faithful, and he was the only one. Book of John, chapter 5. Flash forward to the New Testament. God Himself, Jesus Christ, walking on the earth. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, After this, there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market of the pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these 
an impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool to trouble the water. Whosoever then first, after the trouble of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, knew that he had been there a long time in that case. He said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. He was in a place filled with people. The problem wasn't that he did not believe in the power of God. Because he believed. The problem was not that God never sent the angel down to trouble the pool because at a certain time every year the angel came down and whoever got in was healed. The problem was that he was by himself. Nobody shows up at the pool for healing unless something's wrong with them. Nobody's looking to be made whole unless they're already lame, which means that the lame and the hawk and the blind, they're not getting in the water by themselves. Somebody else has got to be there to put them in. So the reason this man didn't get healed for 38 years is because he was by himself. But you see, the Lord did not ask him the question, why don't you get in the water? And the angel What? I, I, are, are you, were you late? I mean, did, did, did you not think that it was going to happen at the same time? Or, or were you not standing right there at the edge of the water, waiting to just drop yourself on the air when the angel came? He didn't ask him that question. Because the timing of the sending of an angel is of no concern to the Creator. The question he asked him was, Wilt thou be made whole? God wasn't asking Elijah, How many are faithful? He wasn't asking him, How many are on the Lord's side? He wasn't asking him, Elijah, when you preached last weekend, did they really convert? Did they really repent at the altar? Or did you see through it and they've already gone and backslid again? Well, he asked Elijah. He asked Elijah, why are you here? And then he answered his own question. Elijah, you're here because you think you're all by yourself. You think there's nobody else that's faithful but you. You've decided that all is lost and all has come to an end because you are the only one. But God said, I've still got a remnant. I've still got a people. Don't you worry about that, Elijah. You just put your faith and trust in me. And now flash back into the New Testament. What happened to that lame man? The very next verse that says, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. It wasn't God's concern that he didn't 
ask you the question. Will God leave you? Will God forsake you? Will God ever allow you to be the only one? Not according to His Word. Not according to what He said. Because my Bible tells me when He comes back, He's coming back for a people. Not a person. Not a man. He said, I'm coming back for a people that have made themselves ready. I've come back for a people that are watching for me and looking for me. That tells me something prophetic this morning, church. It don't matter how bleak it looks. It don't matter how bad it looks. It don't matter what my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings are doing to me today. The Word of God tells me I'm not ever by myself. I've always got God, and I've always got God's people, and He's never going to let it fail. He's never going to let it fall down. You are not alone. Amen. Too many people that died and gone out into eternity without God. Because somebody or something told them a lie. They're the only one. Some people have allowed self-righteousness to destroy a godly heart because they believed they were the only one. Psalm chapter 142. You stand with me. begins with this before we get to what the words of David are. It says, Master of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and the way wherein I walked have they probably made a snare for me. It didn't sound like Elijah yet. Just read the next verse. I looked on my right hand and beheld that there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. He was in a cave. He was in a dark place. And there was a voice that began to talk, David, you're all by yourself. Nobody cares anymore, David. It don't matter that Samuel anointed you to be king, it's over. It don't matter that you were once. With your family, they're not with you today. You know how you're supposed to lead the armies of God. Your armies have abandoned you today. He said, No man cared for my soul. And verse 5 says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge, 
Sisters don't go. It's alive in the pits of hell. 